You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 32 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brennan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Brennan. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. For some reason, I was stumbling over that intro in my brain. I was like, is he a calling champion? Is he not? Uh, I don't know. Guess doesn't count because it was in 2019, right? So Fair this enough. week, we're going to be back with one of our Runeblade, or sorry, our Runeblade class deep dive. We had part one about two weeks ago, and it's going to be part two of that. So for these episodes, Hayden and I dedicate an entire you know podcast episode or two episodes in the case of Runeblade to breaking down a specific class and constructed with a focus on core fundamentals, ways to build and play the hero, key cards, strength and weaknesses, how to win with it, and ultimately how to beat with it. Uh, sorry, how to beat it, how to beat it. So this is going to be part two of Runeblade. Um, but before heading to that, Hayden, let's talk about your week in flesh and blood. Yeah, let's talk about how to beat with it. Um, how to beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually so got back from the calling Orlando um i think we so we recorded last week's episode in, in person which is awesome uh, it's kind of weird because usually we record every seven days but this is like 10 days since we last recorded uh just because you know i I've, I've been traveling so um got back took the week off from from flesh and blood from testing but actually i ended up playing quite a bit of flesh and blood uh because there was two skirmishes on in the weekend which i decided that I was like, no, I'd probably just maybe go to one. There was a draft skirmish, which I was really excited to play. So I knew I really wanted to go to that. Um, I went to the draft skirmish on Saturday. Uh, that was awesome. I had a lot of fun. There was two, you know, so two drafts, uh, like the Swiss draft. And then there was a top eight draft as well. Um, lost in the semis of that one, but I had a pretty cool uh, lightning Lexi deck in the top eight. And then I kind of got home and was like, no, nah, I really want to play some more Flesh and Blood tomorrow. I want to play, uh, play skirmish. So um, grabbed out the Kano deck. Uh, and went along and, and played um, played a blitz skirmish, which uh, I ended up losing in the finals of. But just had like a just had a really fun day uh, playing playing blitz. I haven't played blitz in, in forever, and it's a format that um, I think is best played in person in an event like a, a skirmish, where it's you know you go for four hours or whatever, you get to play five, five five six rounds of Swiss, you play your top eight, and you get on with the rest of your uh, of your Sunday afternoon or whatever it is. So yeah, I had, had a lot of fun, and then um, I think I just because I haven't been testing this week and there was opportunities to play draft, I was like really excited about that. So I went and did a draft on Monday night as well, uh, Tuesday night, sorry. And then I even played some constructed last night. So yeah, my, my week away from flesh and blood has ended up me uh, going to four different local events and playing some flesh and blood. So it's, <laughs> it's been good. Yeah. I am happy that skirmish is in the flesh and blood now, but I have to say that there was something very special about those online skirmishes, especially if you sort of grinded them. Um, there's just something really cool about like kind of every single night, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was back when we were pushing for XP, you know, I'd get on at, you know, yeah, it'd be 5 PM. We'd go to like 2 AM or wake up at you know, 5 AM to get on for some European one. <laughs> and like, as soon as I got on, I'd get in a discord and there was Dante, Rob, you know, all these other people we were all just kind of like on this, on this skirmish circuit. There's definitely something really special about that, especially like the, you know, 128 players, um, which is a cool kind of experience while we had it. So I don't want to. I don't want to say that it was. It was never good when it was online because no, there was an all. aspect that was. Yeah, there was an aspect that I kind of looked back fondly on. That for me, these in-person ones. Well, I love playing in person. Uh, they don't really capture like the competitive kind of aspect that the online ones are feeling. But that was also, you know, it's like kind of the evolution of flesh and blood, right? Yeah. Where our our idea of competitive uh, 
what competitive is has changed, right? Because we've gone from you know pre-releases being like these things you were trying to spike, and skirmish was something that everybody was trying to win, and now like you know everything's a lot more casual. That's been put in perspective when you play these these calling events and all this other stuff. Yeah, Br- Brendan Spike Patrick over here. No, but it is <laughs> like it's you go through these iterations of the events, and now you have you know for the past two months you've traveled almost you know a majority of the weekends to events where you've seen a Dante Delfica, you've seen a, a Rob Seigel, uh, you know you've seen these players battling it out for you know calling top eights for calling day twos for national championships uh because that's the that's now the the pinnacle of the the competitive player flesh and blood whereas at one point you know skirmish was the the pinnacle of competitive play because that's all what's all that uh, we had in the ecosystem just you know due to circumstances yeah so while hayden has taken the week off of testing i have not so just have had my usual testing but it's been a little bit harder for me this past week, I've tried to stop drinking caffeine, stop consuming caffeine, and oh, good oh my goodness, it has blown. Yeah, those 5 a.m. sessions are not fun. Um, <laughs> so I've been so tired. <laughs> it's crazy. But we'll be welcoming Hayden back into the testing group on Monday after his uh, his beachfront vacation. A sabbatical. <laughs> a sabbatical. Uh, anyway, Hayden, let's talk about the news. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I was going to say, I'm, I'm a bit of an alien. I find it hard to to identify as Brennan because I don't actually drink coffee. So just look at me with blank stares. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the news. We have some like super exciting news. I mean, we have the announcement of the new set. I know we, uh, we've t- talked about it for three weeks now. We thought initially there was like going to be something at nationals. And then uh, we thought, you know, uh, November 16th was like the date of the announcement. And as, as it turns out, it's exactly what happened. So Everfest is the next set uh, for flesh and blood. This is a supplemental set that's coming out on uh, or coming out in February. So um, has a release date. I think the release date has been given of February 4th is the first. Uh, yeah, February 4th is the release date. And previous season starts January 24th. So really like a really tight turnaround between the previous season and release date. But there's no pre-release for this, right? Because it's a it's a supplemental set. It's a set for Constructed. So a set purely designed for Constructed play. Uh, think Crucible of War, very much the same thing. We get uh, 10 card booster packs. You get 24 packs per your display. Um, in terms of like the card, just just talking through like what is happening with Everfest. Um, so it is, you know, of course, a set in Aria. If you followed any of the, I guess, the lore of Tales of Aria and and, and what's happened um, so far through, I guess, you know, this uh, this new set that we've just experienced. Um, Everfest is like the, I think I believe it's like the, you know, like the carnival, like the the festival of um, of the city. So be interesting to see. I saw a comment of someone saying, "I want to see a, a brute rock up to the Everfest. What are they doing there?" Um, so. I guess we'll find out. A brute, yeah, it's a brute in the uh, in wearing the tunic, right? That was always the yeah, theme. Yeah. So like back in like Welcome to Earth and I can imagine every class was like playing tunic and still, you know, obviously a lot of classes too. And it's like what is what does a rhino look like in a Fiendal spring tunic? Yeah, exactly. What does Rhino look like in, in, in a spring tunic? So yeah, February fourth. Very much excited. I think we thought we might get it somewhat sooner, but this is going to be about five months between Tales of Aria and the release of of Everfest of the supplemental set. So, um, can, do, does contain cards for every new hero in the game. Oh, sorry, it contains new cards for every hero in the game. Uh, has cold foils for first edition, of course. Um, and there's 198 cards in the set. So the breakdown is one fable, three legendary, 45 majestic, 61 rares, and 88 commons. Um, so interested, like the the forty five majestics. I think if we look at Crucible, very likely um, that we'll get another another run of like majestic equipment, like we saw with the last set. Uh, I'm sure that we're we're likely to see that again. And then the legendaries. Uh, you know, in the previous set, there was uh, a shape shifting hero, of course, with Crucible. We had the tunic reprint, and the third one was. Did we get three in Crucible? I'm trying to think. 
Um, not on the tip of my tongue, we didn't. We had I think it was two. I think it was just two. Yeah, just two. And Sharp was fabled. Uh, so we do get three legendaries this time. So that's exciting. One last thing with the release of Everfest as well is that LSS had announced that this will have fully recyclable paper packaging uh, for the new set, which you know, personally I think is like a really positive move for the game. Um, I've actually questioned this with other TCGs, you know, and I know that something that Magic tried with Modern Masters uh, famously once with like cardboard boxes. Um, so, you know, it's going to be exciting to see how LSS execute on this um, and what they do with the paper packaging. I think the idea behind the move is, is really positive and a good one uh, to be a company that is, is considering the environmental impacts of, of the, the retail landscape and how they interact with, with their community as well. So, yeah, looking forward to that. We'll see what, I guess, um, comes of it once the, the boxes land in February 4th. Yeah, I'm just happy that, you know, it looks like LSS isn't trying to maximize their bottom line at any cost, right? They're willing to be like a first mover, uh, be the industry standard, and maybe make the switch and come out with a better product that, you know, maybe we'll see other TCGs sort of mimic it if it's successful. Yeah, yeah, like it's a risk, right? You take a risk to, to do something that maybe hasn't been done before, has been trial, but wasn't su- successful. But to be a small or medium-sized company and kind of just follow is really easy to do. But to to be a disruptor, to be like a first mover, as you say, is, is a more difficult decision. And, you know, no doubt that impacts on on costs. Uh, it always comes down to, you know, even a few cents make a big difference at the end. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see the change at least. Moving on, uh, another, I guess when we're talking about product-related news, uh, Arcane Rising is now officially out of print. So we had the news, of course, of Crucible Unlimited being out of print, and now Arcane Rising Unlimited is officially out of print. It sounds like there's still stock floating around the world. There's, I know, uh, a lot of distributors still have some stock. Uh, stores have some stock. So I don't think we're going to see Arcane Rising, you know, just vanish immediately overnight. But we do know that stores aren't, and distributors aren't going to be receiving more arcane rising in the future so has raised some questions about reprints you know of course skullcap command and conquer two very popular cards uh played in a lot of decks and, and class constructed blitz um and i'm sure upf as well probably that people are now looking at and, and questioning will we see reprints i would say that everfest is probably very you could you could probably put some safe money on there being some sort of reprint from these uh these sets that have just gone out of print i think so just want to clarify the ut are you aware that skullcap is confirmed as a reprint Oh, yeah, it is too. You're right. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so it is safe money. I told you it's safe money. It's yeah, yeah. very, very safe money, that is. Yeah, I think initially with um, the video that James did with Red Zone Rogue and then the, the, the little spoiler article that came out announcing Everfest, there was the, uh, the or before that, there was the skull cap with the Everfest um, set yep. code, right? EVR. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. Safe money. I told you. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Does it get much safer than reporting confirmed news? <laughs> I'm good at this. So yeah, so Arcane Rising out of print, but of course, Skullcap. I'm guessing probably be interesting because when we had Crucible reprinted, right, we had Tunic, but we didn't have, you know, like say in Line Strike, for instance. So Command and Conquer might be, a, <laughs> it's not quite as confirmed as uh, Skullcap, right? Yeah, definitely not quite, but much needed, right? Probably one of the most played generics in the game. Yeah, either that or maybe the next set we roll into has reprints of some of these staples. I mean, Art of War is another one as well, right? So it'd be interesting to see. Wanted to shout out just all the winners of nationals. Uh, so we had eight national championships take place last weekend, including um, Canada, Poland, Germany, um, and some really deserving winners uh, in, you know, in, in those nationals. Um, Brennan, I think you know the eight nationals in one weekend is like a lot, and there was, seemed to be coverage across you know, like Facebook, Discord, you know, like lots of different social media channels of these events in terms of just like updates, which is really cool to see, you know, people in the local communities updating about which decks made top eight, which, you know, which players made top eight, how their runs were through the weekend. Um, So that was really, really cool to see as well. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of nationals, we did throw up a deck. What do you even call it? A deck tech. It's like a it's deck overview profile. Right? An over, yeah. So there was an interesting deck that won three nationals last week, and it was a hybrid Briar deck. Basically, it's a Lightning Briar shell with like Channel Mount Heroic and the supporting cards to try to abuse Channel Mount Heroic into zero cost, which is if you played Earth Briar, that was like the turns that were the most broken, where you could have multiple. Uh, multiple attacks on a single combat chain benefiting from that that bonus effect. Um, so it's interesting to see if it's uh, actually legit. It apparently is after it won three events. So we did a little <laughs> overview, talk about the deck, and um, I'm excited to see what the future of the format is with a, a hybrid deck emerging. Yeah. yeah, pick it up and play it. I think I'm going to definitely sleeve it up and play some games with it. Um, I did see someone reference that it may be the uh, the sort of demon child of um, Tarek Patel and Zach Bun. That's what I've heard. So. <laughs> well i'll tell you one thing um just right now for anybody who hasn't watched the video yet there's a there's a couple of matchups in they're currently rough and this is in quotations rough for lightning bright it's going to be old and viscerai um and ice lexi this is much better into all three of those significantly better right especially into something like viscerai if you're coming up the top and getting the bonus at chain rock so the question is is can you win the mirror so if you can consistently win the mirror then it's going to be the best deck in my opinion so Try it out for yourself. Let us know. I want to shout out to all of our patrons um, for supporting. We have almost, you know, we're around 300 right now, which is just incredible to think. Um, the Arsenal Pass Patreon does have tons of extra content as well as, you know, extra podcasts, a live session, which I think we're doing the next one on Sunday, yeah, yeah. Um, as well as if we put up a, a deck tech on the YouTube channel, we do throw up the Cyborg Guide deck theory and all that good stuff on the uh the patreon there we recently have we have not recently we have one going up i think it's on friday it's going to be lightning briar so full lightning briar deck tech as well as you know the cyborg guide and you know for the deck theory and all the matchups we actually did a video for this one so if you are a patron let us know what you think of that instead of doing the traditional write-up and then we just have like the sideboard you know what comes in specifically as a write-up attached to that as well we're trying to keep it video and keep it more personal your little cheat sheet uh, that you can take along, which is perfect, right? You can print those out if you're going to an event and you've got your, your sideboard notes already there. Um, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that list as well was the list that all three, myself, you, Brennan, Dante, played at, uh, at the calling and, you know, very, I think two cards different to what uh, Tarek won the event with. Yeah, I did tweak the sideboard a little bit because we had some really bad sideboard plans, especially into like uh, old him and anything that was a bit fatiguey. We were actually playing more cards where I think you want to sh- play 60, maybe you play like a couple cards more than that but you want to get to your you know, maybe deck stacking yeah, yeah. as quick as you can for sure I want to shout out that we have a gameplay video that went up speaking of lightning briar it's going to be lightning briar versus matt rogers viscerai list that recently went up on the youtube channel really cool um i think that if you're looking at the meta right now a big question right now is like how do you beat lightning briar um, and a pretty clear answer that's actually matt's list um so check out the video see how it went but I can tell you from the Lightning Briar side that Viscerai is one of the last things I want to sit across from, especially this sort of um, kind of combo-y ODK-esque list, which is, I, I'm hesitant to use the word ODK because that's not what it is, but it does, you know, combo out and use a lot of room chance to blow you up. But check it out. It's on YouTube. And um, yeah, let us know what you think. Hayden, what do you have for the Command and Cookout this week? Yeah, I got a great question for the Commander Cookout. Thank you for asking. Uh, had a we, we have a few questions um, on our backlog, which thank you to everyone who's submitted some questions. Um, but I had a I had a question that I think is like super relevant to Nationals, Orlando, current class constructor format that sort of was submitted late. And this comes from uh, Brian Gottlieb. Uh, Brian, who we've had on Time in the Round before, is a you know well-known Magic personality podcaster. He sent in a question, which I think is just a, a great question for right now, which is, it was really interesting to hear you guys walking back the idea of increasing deck size in the old matchup, because to me, coming from Magic, it's always struck me as crazy how often people are willing to play deck sizes over 60 cards. 
uh, for basically the reasons that we talked about. Um, we talked about this last week as well. Does the Ultimate Experience have you rethinking larger deck sizes generally now, or do you still think this was a special circumstance where there was an unusually high uh, premium on card quality and pitch stacking? I think it's a great question because I think in the past probably seven to ten days, Brendan, right, we've we've had varying thoughts on this, and we've probably come back to a lot of our base sort of fundamentals and understanding of of um, cards and decks in, in this format. Yeah, I mean, so we can we got to bring it back, right? We got to go back in time. We got to go back to Welcome to Wraith, right? So Welcome to Wraith, there were some fatigue decks, not the drone decks, the pre-drone decks, because that's a different story. Um, but we had like. Bravo fatigue, which is was just straight attrition, and it would just block you out, and it would use like efficient defense reactions to kind of you know really suck all the fun out. So the idea when you would increase because you would get fatigued down, you're like, oh, what do I do? The reason why you would increase the amount of cards in your deck is like you literally just needed threats to throw into them because the reason that they could keep blocking you out um, was because of these things like the defense reactions that got a bunch of value, right? When they were able to like staunch response you really effectively, or use their sink below their zero for four. And like you just needed more cards to get past those really effective and efficient blockers. And then you would, you know, you come into where they just block for three and they block for three. And that was okay. Like if every card in their deck just blocked for three, they probably wouldn't fatigue you. But because they have all these defense reactions and they have these really efficient blocks, you could add more cards to help you out in the fatigue matchup, add remembrance, stuff like this. So why this doesn't work against Ultim? This is a pretty clear path to beat Old Him as Lightning Briar, and it's you're going to be chipping in damage throughout the game, and you do this little dance where you're just like, you need to put enough pressure on them so they can't hit you back um, throughout the game while you try to stack your decks. You need to play all through your Sonatas. There might be a, a world where we cut Sonata in that matchup, but we'll see. Play all through your Sonatas, then you start stacking. So you have to stack Sting, Sting, Triple Ball, and it's pretty clear that like the the only way you win versus like hard fatigue or at least the way you should win a vast majority of games is by that exact sequence of cards and kind of by not much else so what we found is like you know we kind of came in with that legacy boomer theory of like adding more cards to have more threats to kind of get through it doesn't work for soldem you like you need to get to the stack as fast as possible because as soon as like you try to like stumble around they can just smack you back like really hard yeah, right for they, sure. Yeah, Winter's Whale's bad enough, but they could, you know, they could glacial footsteps you, they could spinal crush you. So you need to have the consistent pressure every turn, and then you need to like turbo to your sting sting bubble ball stack. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've been pretty vocal in, in previous formats as well, in the in the last format about or even unlimited, right? About just playing more cards in your deck and like why we think that is often so inefficient and ineffective and just the, the you know the incorrect thing to do. But actually, I just wanted to use your example of like Welcome to Wraith Meta. The reason that, another reason that was so effective, right? You talked about trading cards, you know, and immovable often traded for two cards for just the one card mm-hmm. and immovable. But also the power level in that format was really low, right? So yep. the synergistic nature of a lot of the decks, there was a lower card pool, just the power level was lower. So cards like these defense reactions that traded, you know, one card for two cards was often just, you know, really, really effective and could block out most of the damage you don't you don't have that as much anymore so you take the old time example right like if you just sit back and you play worse quality cards um then you're just giving your opponent more time to to chip and damage to set up what they need to set up to uh, find an effective game plan uh whereas you know the, the i guess you just use those like those really fast quick punches and you get to your end game uh you're often a lot better served and there's there's certainly matchups where uh you know you need more density of power cards but, but Lightning Briar isn't one of those decks. Like basically, the whole deck is you know has that ability. There's all you know the zero for four concept is that every hand plays efficiently and effectively. If you use something maybe like Reinar where Blood Rush Bellows is like maybe your best win condition, then yeah, maybe something like an Remembrance in certain matchups helps you in that regard, right? But even then, I still would only play sixty cards. I would use a card like Remembrance to 
to fill my to fill my you know my deck back up in that way so i think in general we've probably had some conversations and some thoughts about playing more than 60 cards uh you know bright lightning brian's all time maybe i'd play 62 because i want to make sure i can get in eight ball lightnings or whatever but to be honest it's like it's so minimal yeah i i don't think i think you just play straight 60 like it's just such like in that matchup specifically or just like any fatigue matchup if you're on the the lightning bar list there's just such a clear way to win the game like it's just this is how you do it, right? Like, yes, you can win by just coming over the top when they don't, they like just don't have it, right? They don't have the def- efficient defense reactions for when you have the big plunder on turn on like an exude or something and you just get them. And sometimes that'll happen. But if it's like a normal game, yeah, I mean, most of the time you have to stack the deck and it's like the faster you get to that stack, the better because every time you're, you're set, anytime you're setting up for a game plan, you're also throughout the throughout the game in which you're getting to that stack or getting into that end game, you have to manage your life so that when you finally do get to that turn, you can take the hit, right? Like I can take the four, he throws at me or something like this. My life totals pressure down to like, you know, two or one. And he could just swing the hammer for four. When I've got my stack, it finally comes over. I pitched it perfectly, comes into my hand. And now I just have to block with a key card and it doesn't work. So yeah, it's too late. Yeah. yeah. And I completely agree with Brian, you know, like coming across from magic initially, like it was crazy to play more than 60 cards, but then I played with the welcome to Wraith format and that kind of changed my perspective. And then I think if I look at like the chain deck that we played through the season, like our our plan into fatigue matchups was to play like between 64 to 68 cards. Um, and I think yeah. a, a big reason for that was like the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the time that you get to your end stack, actually having a, a number between 62 and 66 cards is often like 64 is actually like a perfect number for stacking the deck and coming back to your like shackle uh, seven turn which was really important, shackle seven to shackle eight turn, which was really important. So there was like a, a good reason, I think, to play above 60 cards. Um, but there's there's so few and far between. And I think unless you have, I think we've said this about limited, unless you have like a really, really good reason to be playing more than uh, the minimum cards and diluting your deck, like, it, you know, there has to be a really, really good reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, chain change is like a whole different beast because of what that deck was doing and like, you know, how your threats were dispersed. It was just... It kind of breaks uh, breaks a lot of the base theory in this game, and like, I, yeah, playing playing the more cards. What was that? It's just like a philosophical conversation because I think, like, thinking back on it now, if I was to just think about the chain list now, I don't even know if I would play more than sixty cards, which is pretty funny. Like, I think as we've gone through and, and talked about this kind of idea of playing more cards and why you do it now with chain, even I'm like, mm, is it correct? <laughs> A lot of it was insurance, I think. Um, you had like a lot of insurance. So if you had the block with cards you didn't want to block with, like key pieces to your end game stack, um, and like it just your deck size just really didn't matter, right? Because you you got there, you got to the the full mill of your deck in the end game stack on the exact same shackle, unless you played like sixty cards. Um, and sometimes it was less ideal to realize it on shackle seven rather than shackle eight. But this is getting way too nitty gritty to the, the chain. Great. <laughs> this is like this is like. Have you ever seen that meme where it's like the dude from the History Channel who's talking about aliens with the crazy hair? I feel like that's me every time we talk about chain. <laughs> well, anyway, Brian, right. thank you for sending the question in. Um, great question again, and, and a very topical conversation. Just about as we start to think about how the the game develops the power level of cards and um the idea of fatigue as a strategy and, and how people can play into that and counteract that strategy so if you want to get your question in for the commander cookout section you can uh, do it a few different ways you can email into us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com uh, you can drop a tweet 
to one of us or you can just drop a comment below and just let us know that you've got a question for the commander cookout um, we've even had some patrons uh, sent through on patreon their questions so whatever way you want to do it, it's fine by us just let us know and we'll, we'll try and get your question on the show sweet all right Hayden. into the main topic yeah so last week we obviously took a bit of a break from runeblade to discuss the calling orlando uh, we were recorded in person, but the week prior, we had uh, done our part one of our Stir the Metalwoods, you know, our Runeblade 101 deep dive. And we, we broke this into two parts because, you know, Runeblade has three different heroes. It's had a massive impact on, you know, especially the classic constructed meta. And it's just, you know, there's a lot happening. So in part one, we talked about the history of, of the class. Uh, we talked about key cards for each of, you know, each of the sets that Runeblade has been in uh, for the heroes in those sets, how those, uh, I guess, how those decks are built, their strategies overall and how they kind of play out. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that, then I'd recommend going and doing so. Uh, at the end of this, actually, I'm going to stitch these two together for uh, a video and a pod so that you can listen to this all in one go if you want to go back and listen to it at some point. But for now, let's get in and talk about how to play Runeblade. Mm, big question. We got three heroes to talk about here. <laughs> all quite a bit different in design, in my in my opinion. Yeah, so it's going to depend on the type of type of deck you're playing, right? So um, one of the most important, I guess, things in terms of like structuring your turns with Runeblade is probably going to be a mix of your non-attack actions and attack actions. And that's been the same for Viscerai, that's been the same for Chain, and that's been the same now for, for Briar. So all of, the, all of the heroes, and we talked about this in the deck building, but all of the heroes have, you know, some sort of bonus that they get from uh, playing non-attack and, and attack actions. And a lot of that comes in the form of the weapon. So... We talk about mm-hmm. Viscerai, obviously, inherently, that's the, the ability. If you've played a non-attack action this turn, then when you play a Runeblade action card, you get a Rune Chant, right? So really incentivizes you to be playing some sort of non-attack action into Runeblade cards. Uh, with with Chain, of course, like Nebula Blade was the biggest part of that deck in you know, the previous format, now Rosetta Thorn, really encouraging you to play a non-attack action, probably an attack action, and then your your weapon, depending on you know which weapon you're playing. And then Briar, of course, well, non-attack actions are going to help you generate uh, embodiments of lightning. And then the attack actions are going to utilize those and then help you create embodiments of earth as well as then, you know, contribute towards that Rosetta Thorn attack. So basically, if you thought, if you think about how Runeblade is going to play out at its most, you know, core function, the, the, the step one, stage one, phase one of playing a Runeblade is play a non-attack action, play an attack action, do something else, right? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of the key cornerstone of the class is the balance of non-attack action and attack action. It's actually like the, I think it's one of the deck building limitations that they put on Runeblade to try to contain its power. Um, and yeah, also reward it for building that way. But it should be, I guess like, I think in like theory, it should be worse for you to be playing like an exact split often, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's like an interesting design space that we're in, in Runeblade, but very, very kind of cornerstone to the class. Yeah. So next, next I'll talk about like kind of sequencing sequencing runeblade to get the best value out of your rune chance and on hit effects this is seen a lot like i mean obviously the grasp of the arc knight has you know has this blocking usage but creating that rune chant can be really important right you have your on hit effects um not on hit effects but you have conditional go again effects and like meet and greet rip the reality um stuff like this as well as on hit effects just things like consuming volition right so if you've done the arcane damage um consuming volition if it hits will require your opponent to discard a card so it's like a really interesting game when you just like pitch to create a rune chant, come in with consuming volition. Your opponent is presented with the questions like, okay, if I don't block this rune chant, then this consuming volition will make me discard a card, or I can pitch an entire card just for one rune chant and then get rid of this on hit effect. Yeah. So one of the most important things I think when you talk about sequencing with Runeblade is trying to give your opponent the least amount of information as well. So if you've ever played a class like 
uh, ninja or warrior. Um, you know, if you famously, like you talk about Dorinthia, right? The more cards Dorinthia has in hand, the less known their players, right? Whereas if they, they pitch a blue, they play a warrior's valor, they come in with the Dawnblade and they have one card in hand, you know, pretty reasonable that you can assume that card's an attack reaction a lot of the time. And it's, it's kind of similar with Runeblade in some ways where, you know, say, and I wanted to talk about this before, but if you talk about that kind of non-attack action versus attack action, if we talk about that sequencing again, say we play a, a Moverin Skies, right? And then we come in with, maybe we're playing Viscera and we come with a draw into the Dark Dimension. So we're drawing another card. We're triggering some, some Rune Chance. We've played our non-attack action, we've played our attack action, we still have two cards in hand. Now our opponent has to make a decision, like, do we prevent these Rune Chance because they might have a Meet and Greet or they might have Consuming Volition? Or do we not care about those and we, we just focus on the attack action because it has an on-hit effect with the Morphin Skies trigger happening? So that's one of the, when you talk about sequencing, those are some of the things where if I'm playing a Runeblade, I'm really thinking about like, how can I sequence this to get the, the most value out of my attacks and non-attacks? So, you know, how can I do the most damage over a turn? But also, how can I give my opponent the least amount of information uh, in terms of what I'm going to do next? Because it's going to make it difficult for them to deal with that split damage efficiently, especially if they're trying to factor in like on-hit effects or... Uh, bonus effects like a like a consuming volition, like a meet and greet, like a rip through reality, etc. Dread triptych even. Yeah, absolutely, and <clears throat> I think that's present in a lot of classes, but Runeblade is definitely um, one of the key ones, right? Because you would like if you're you're turned with conditional on your meet and greet having go again. If you had an attack that was going to be on the combat chain before, then it would be better to make the rune chant on that mm-hmm. attack. Um, and not break the chain, obviously, later as well. But then you could get this kind of unsuspecting go again on your your meet and greet where your opponent, like if you had presented the rune chant with the meet and greet, probably would have blocked it to stop your turn in its tracks. Yeah, the, the, the classes that have the most impact in terms of sequencing are the classes that have go again, right? The classes that go wide. So Ninja, uh, Runeblade, even, you know, Warrior to an extent uh, with Bolton and um, even, you know, Durinthia, of course, with just because of how you sequence the cards in hand. But then you look at something like a, a Guardian, right? Sequencing is less important uh, because you're probably, I don't know, making a seismic surge off your tectonic plating and then coming in with a spinal crush or something, right? Like the there's no, there's less sequencing decisions to be made. Your decisions are more about efficiency of defense and offense and how you probably um, pitch your deck. Like that's that's more important. So it's just when you consider Runeblade, like one of the most important things is, is sequencing as it may not be for other classes. So yeah, every class has its nuance. All right, on to the arsenal. An important spot for many classes, but particularly important for Runeblade, a class that I think traditionally likes to utilize things like Plunder Run, um, as well as when you're playing Lightning Briar, sometimes you will opt to <laughs> arsenal the attack action. It's even an Earth Briar, right? Because you want to minimize that chance of you drawing the full non-attack action hand. Obviously, things like Plunder Run will take precedence over this for your arsenal slot, um, but it is really important to kind of keep that slot in mind. I think for Runeblade in particular, it's... Uh, you know kind of a critical part of play yeah i I mean we go back to the thing i just said before around sequencing and in un and you know known versus unknown information a five card hand is more difficult to play into a four card hand but with rune blade and especially you know like a a viscerai or a a briar in particular um there's extra effects that come in there so if you think about with viscerai so if you play a five card hand maybe it's a non-attack action from arsenal and then you still have four cards in hand uh, you've already turned on the viscerai ability with you know your bonus card effectively with your fifth card and then everything after that is is like an additional you know an additional effect that you're getting whereas if you're four card hand or the first card you play is turning on that effect and you know you're gonna get one less room chart minimum so there's that piece of it there's also the piece of um I guess like the the combo-esque or the like synergistic aspect where you have a card maybe like Mordred Tired or Plunder Run, um, these kind of effects that you want to maximize 
amount of cards you play on that turn to get the effect out of it. So with Plunder Run, where you want to have as many attacks as possible to make sure you hit that Plunder Run effect. With the Modra Tide, you want to play as many things that create room chance as possible. So, you know, you want more more cards to be able to do that. And I guess with um, the Chain is like a little bit of an exception because you have cards that you can play from Banish. So that's like somewhat can equate to your Arsenal in some ways, but um, it can be similar, right? Like it could be a Shadow Puppetry from Arsenal or Morphin Skies or something, which enables you to play these... Uh, play these extra cards that you have available and probably the, the last thing i want to say on the arsenal slot is that often the arsenal slot is really important to use as a room blade player to guarantee your mix that you need and when i say that i mean you know we talked about you need non-attack actions and you need attack actions one of the best ways to use your arsenal is to guarantee that you have one of those pieces right so maybe you uh famously like we talked about this right a lot in chain is that we would often put the non-attack action uh, into into our arsenal right to guarantee that we had that so we could play bounding demigons or unhallowed rights from from banish uh, etc yeah absolutely i mean you see that kind of arsenal insurance in the, the opposite of it like i said in earthbriar right where you will actually arsenal the attack action to, exactly you know not draw the blank but in chain it was kind of the opposite right you needed the non-attack action to ensure that you could actually play out those bounding demigons and unhallowed rights that would end up in your banish yeah same with briar right like that's People talk about Plunder Run and how strong that card is, and yeah, but the thing we talk about less is the fact that that's half an embodiment of lightning coming out of your arsenal. It's a guaranteeing that you you have that uh, non-attack action that you need for Rosetta Thorn, etc. So that insurance policy of the the arsenal that you just called it, I like that insurance policy, um, is actually just really critical for a class like Runeblade that has restrictions on uh, the the sequencing and the, the cards, the card types that you need on any, any given turn. Next thing I want to talk about is, uh, I guess, just play patterns as well and, and one of the, the really important play patterns i think you see especially with a card like rosetta thorn but you saw this a little bit with nebula blade as well is defending with two cards and then coming back with either a two or three card hand um you see this a bit with with lightning briar for instance because of the embodiments sometimes maybe you you know you you have a your opponent has a pivot turn you throw down uh two non-attack actions to defend out because you maybe have two embodiments so you're able to defend for two cards for eight super efficient right and then you get to come back with like a non-attack action, an attack action, and then tunic into Rosetta Thorn, something like that. So there's these these play patterns, and it's it's very similar with Viserai. Uh, you know, you could play defend with two cards, come uh, play Morven Skies from Arsenal, play your Spellblade Strike from from hand, and then play Rosetta Thorn or something. So there's there's these um, really uh, yeah really efficient I guess uh, abilities to trade and defend with two cards, and then come back and still present damage and even set up uh, for a following turn. You know, even if it's a two-card hand in Viserai, say it's uh, a blue and a spell, but assault. You know, I'm banking two rune chance for my next turn to get set up. So, I think it's a really common play pattern that you you can see with rune blades. Is uh, and and chain did it as well. Is like defend with two cards, have two to three cards to play with on your turn. Yeah, I mean, my so I was gonna say before you said that, it's like chain is my favorite example, right? You would uh, you could keep the single card in hand. Um, you would banish the Seeds of Agony plus the Ghostly Visit, and you would Seeds of Agony, Ghostly Visit, pitch the blue, uh, obviously with the chain, go again, swing the blade. That's a, what, we got five plus, so it's a nine damage swing, and not counting the rune chain that you might be creating off of a, a single card, which is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably why that got banned, actually. No, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe. So the, the next thing as well, we'll talk about play patterns. We've talked a lot about, I guess, more tempo based decks or more aggressive based decks or more turn to turn decks uh, where you know you're playing out four to five card hands every turn and you're just trying to trade damage push damage on one side maybe defend a bit of damage um and all the decks do that right viscera is capable of doing that we just talked about those those uh, two to three card offensive hands versus two card block hands 
Chain obviously does that uh, really well. Brennan just you know showed a really good example of how that works. Uh, Lightning Briar can do that, or Lightning Briar can just be you know foot on the you know pedal on the gas. Lightning Briar traditionally just five card hands, but there's also different ways to to play Rune Blade, right? And oh, one yeah, of those absolutely, yeah, like more setup turns, right? So one of the the I guess the the famous ones is like the OTK Viscerai, right? The one turn kill Viscerai, stacking up these Rune Chants. So instead of playing a game where you're trading damage and trading cards throughout the game. Uh, you're just trying to prevent as much damage as possible and trying to make as many rune chances as possible as you know as quickly as possible and end the game with with one big turn uh thanks to you know cards like blood sheath of the skeleton uh sonata iconics now which is just a very powerful card um you know you've got knife blades etc so that's another way to play rune blade which is i would say has ebb and flowed throughout formats right so we talk about blitz uh, otk was like the way to play rune blade for a long time um then chain came along and Briar came along, but we've seen a resurgence of Viscerai, sort of these semi-OTK decks with like what Matt played at the calling. Yeah, so there's actually one thing I want to talk to you about, Hayden. So in the calling Orlando, I heard uh, some promoters of Control Chain, where they would sit on one to two shackles, and they would sorry shackles, not shackles, um, <laughs> shackles. and they would just they would just sit on the the two sh- two shackles and just banish two cards, kind of get the value right, and then block out with a bunch, and just kind of like try to play this war of attrition while still getting value off the top of their deck. So playing like you know, sort of the one card hand to pitch. Um, some people are really excited about it. I don't know if I'm sold, but you know, you talk about different ways to play Runeblade. There's one for you right there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I'd have to try it out. My, I'd have some concerns about the the variants coming off the top of your deck and and losing all your gas cards, the same as any sort of chain. But yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to play it, right? Like I've definitely played that way in limited before, where I've had a really high blood deck count, and the only way I felt like I was going to lose my game of draft was just simply run out of you know cards and cards to pitch, etc. So I can I can totally see that. Hundred percent. I think that's kind of all to talk about from like the play pattern side of it. I think if we were to kind of just like tie it into a nice bow, like all of these rune blades play really well, sort of like tempo games, right? Two to three card hands, and then also four to five card hands. But then you know you've got something like a viscerai um, that can play OGK. You've got chain that you know could set up these in-game states, which involved <laughs> often 10, 12, 15 cards in one turn. So. The Runeblade class is very diverse, and you can see that with the play patterns that it has. And I think there's more to explore. There's things that we haven't seen um, be explored. We've seen, if we take Briar for an example, so far at the time of this recording, Lightning Briar is the the proponent like of the format, right? But we have seen some Earth Briar, and we've also seen you know this uh, new hybrid deck that's kind of come out as well. So I'm sure that we're going to continue to see. And we haven't even seen someone you know break Blossoming Sp- uh, Spellblade that yet. Was, <laughs> that was literally on the tip of my tongue. I was I was actually going to say that stole it. We haven't even seen someone try to break Blossoming Spellblade. Obviously, a, a freaking busted card. If you can double fuse it, um, and yeah, I mean, there's I, that sounds like a Jason Chung deck if I've ever heard of a Jason Chung deck. You know, exactly. <laughs> all right brennan let's move on to i guess uh more of these how the deck plays out right so we talked a little bit about um sort of like the key ethos of how to play runeblade is there anything that we need to talk about in terms of i guess how the deck plays out? i'm sure there's some things we haven't touched on with like fatigue and um like efficiency of weapons things like that yeah there are there's definitely two runeblades that it depends on the archetype you're playing are subject to fatigue so something to keep in mind i haven't seen anybody try to fatigue a viscera yet but uh yeah both lightning briar and you know of course chain were you know it was popular for people to play fatigue into those strategies i think both decks are very well equipped to deal with fatigue um chain being extremely well equipped but it's something to keep in mind if you're playing runeblade um your opponents may try to just attrition you out of cards yeah, and to be honest, actually, I have seen that with Viscerai uh, back in the Crucible <laughs> of War format. So we were pretty big on like playing Viscerai 
uh, for the New Zealand Nationals for like the the guys I was working with at the time. Um, and one of the ways that like we we're worried about losing was like dash decks just pumping the decks all they're playing all their blues taking out all their aggressive cards and just like blocking every single piece of rune chant damage we could ever do and then eventually we just ran out of like red line cards right uh, because you need some rune chants to hit and if they never related to that you can actually get fatigued so <laughs> just pretty funny um, <laughs> but yeah I mean if you look at I guess the way that the three heroes play out like all of them could be attacked in different ways and, and that's something you have to consider when you think about how a deck or a matchup plays out with a rune blade is like what is your strategy and then what is your opponent likely trying to do to combat you because rune blade is now you know probably the, i mean it is the most successful class in flesh and blood history right so at this at the time of recording like players are thinking about how do i beat a rune blade and it's whether it's whether it's briar whether it's chain whether it's even viscerai like players are going to come with a strategy so uh, you know, one of them very likely could be fatigue. So whatever your strategy is, I think you've just got to have an idea of how you're going to play into what people are trying to combat you with. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think um, another thing we didn't really touch on, but I think is really important is like you have some of the most efficient weapons in the game and the widest choice of weapons. And we did talk about this in part one, but of course between like Rosetta Thorn, Nebula Blade, um, Dread Scythe, uh even i guess maybe not so much galaxy black but th- there's oh, these weapons <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get dread scythe the honorable mention and not i think galaxy black is more playable than dread scythe right now now yeah but i think dread scythe has a really inherently sure. like that, strong ability it's gonna right? be sick. yeah yeah it's gonna yeah. be great eventually it's gonna be awesome yeah so i'm sure we'll see it so yeah and then the other thing as well is like you have great utility of equipment as well so you have like famously the mini fridge right uh, although actually it's just a fridge at this point <laughs> to be yeah honest. it's a full-on yeti fridge at this point yeah, and, and by that obviously we mean, you know, you've got Skullcap, access to that, three defense over over the turns on it. You've got the Grasp, three defense over multiple turns. You've got the Skeletor, which can defend for three if you need to, one and two and then one, of course. And then now you have the Spellbound Creepers, which has this insane ability and then also has Blade Break for one. So, you know, you, defensive-wise, you can kind of, uh, you, can, you can cope. Yeah, the weapons are something, really something to kind of like think about and analyze because they've just had, I mean, if we look at both Nebula, well, Chain really used Nebula Blade to its max effect, but like now looking at Rosetta Thorn, and then we talk about a card that, you know, we, none of us were really able to play with, but Dust Blade, I mean, these Rune Blades are packing some punches with their weapons, and they, <laughs> it's just crazy to me because like, um, you know, I think Rosetta Thorn just might be one of the most powerful weapons in the game. And that's coming off of, you know, immediately seeing Nebula Blade being abused in Monarch and then Dust Blade being banned. So it's an interesting context where these Rune Blade weapon designs have landed. Yeah, uh, Rosetta Thorn is very powerful. Um, if you look at, I just wanted to put in a, a little mention for Blitz here and just a bit of, I guess, a little bit of a tip for Blitz. If you're playing, if you're playing Rune Blades and, and Blitz, I think um, Rosetta Thorn is probably your standard weapon now, unless you've maybe got a Dread Scythe deck or something or a Nebula Blade deck. Uh, and then I think the other sort of option that you have is to play the Dawnblade into control matchups is, is probably the tip I would give right now is that if you have a deck that's really based around that non-attack action, attack action weapon uh, build, which is very, very easy to do with most of the Rune Blades, um, you probably want to be playing Rosetta Thorn into like the aggressive matchups and then just playing Dawnblade into any deck that might fatigue you. Like Dawnblade is the ultimate way to make sure that you can't get fatigued, I think. Dawnblade? Sorry. Duskblade. Dust blade. I was like, the one that you can play. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Just want to keep us grounded here. Exactly. Should we move on to, I guess, how to win with Rune Blade. How to win with Rune Blade. This is my favorite, especially when we talk about chain. 
Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll kick off and I'll let you do the, the chain piece because I know how passionate you are about winning the chain. But the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to how to win with, with Rune Blade, whether that be Viserai, whether that be Briar, whether that be Chain, is know your damage plan uh, in any matchup and how you're going to manage your non-attack actions and attack actions. And what I mean by this is uh, what I talked about before. You've got, obviously, your damage coming from Arcane, whether that be Rune Chance, whether that be just your Arcane damage from Rosetta Thorn or Vexy Malices, etc. Um, and then you've got, you know, your physical damage. And it's really important in any given matchup to know probably what's going to do the bulk of your work. So uh, if you're playing, this is especially true with Viserai, but if you're playing a deck that has, you know, maybe your 70% of your damage in any given game is going to be physical and 30% is going to be, you know, the, the arcane damage, you need to consider like how your opponent's going to try and tackle that. Are they going to, you know, before I talk about the Viserai deck where people just block out the, the rune chance and then just, you know, maybe take some of the physical, run you out of cards, etc., on the Briar side, right, your, your physical damage is more important. So you've got to, like, prioritize those things. Uh, often in some matchups, it's correct to just basically never use your Rosetta Thorn because the physical damage and the on-hit effects of those present is way more important. But then, like, into a fatigue matchup or a control matchup that maybe is going to try and run you out of cards or you need to have more efficient attacks with, uh, you know, efficient damage across the length of the game, then, like, Rosetta Thorn becomes really important, right, uh, because of that split damage effect. So just understanding, like, which damage your opponents actually care about and how they care about it is going to probably dictate how you should play out any given game with your Runeblade deck and probably how you want to, like, set up for it as well with your sideboarding. Mm-hmm. So another, so my favorite part about Runeblade is I think that Runeblade, and I, arguably every single class of Flesh Blood needs needs this but runeblade really needs a game plan to win the game lightning briar maybe a little less so you can kind of just kind of play into some wins with that deck but we talked about the end game sequence to be fatigued you need to be very cognizant and very prepared and you know ready to set that up and execute it or you're just gonna lose a lot of the time this happens with all the runeblades so on viscerai you know traditionally like uh back in crucible the issue would be like yeah you would come in with a big attack with like you know nine rune chance and the um the ninth blade of the blood oath, like this big pivot turn, your opponent would block it out to their max effect, and then you would have to spend another three, four, five turns building it up again. Um, and it was this like weird scenario where Runeblade just kind of had a hard time closing when it was just Viscerai. Um, and then we talk about chain. Chain is the the pinnacle of crafting an endgame to win the game. You know, most of your opponents would, at, if you're playing in Monarch, would have a precise game plan for you. Some of them being fatigued, some of them not. But you really had to both manage your blood debt, manage your threats, and manage your blocks. If it was sort of a mid range or aggro, right? We talked about that one card, that one card sequence where you'd banish the seeds and the attack action and swing the nebula to four. That was a great trade into any sort of aggro matchup, playing around your um, your artivores. But then when you got to fatigue, I mean, you had to stack your deck from turn zero of the game. You're literally setting up the sequence to where you would draw the four blues and then banish, you know, the eight. Um, you know, seeds and attack actions and all this stuff to finally kind of close out the game, right? So I think Runeblade, I don't know if it's arguably more than other classes, but just it's definitely heightened that you need to have like a very specific game plan to to win. I, I don't think it is. I think I think the just because of how popular the deck has been and probably the discourse around it. And also, I think we've got we've got to consider as well, Brendan, like our lens on this. You know, we spend a lot of time with the chain deck, for instance. But mm-hmm. if I counter that, like I spend a lot of time with like um, Reinar as well. And I think in a lot of matchups, Reinar needs like a really, really like focused game plan on how it's going to play early, mid, and especially the end game, uh, whether it be with like Barrage and Beatdowns or Blood Rush Bellows or um, whatever those kind of in game sequences might be. Um, it's just that I think the the runeblade ones because of the interchange or like how cards interchange um you can set up these in games and have like a pretty good theory and some cards just 
swap in for each other. So it's a lot easier to execute on these game plans or um, maybe easy is not the right word, but you can more consistently do it if you, know, if you know the the cards that you need. So I think that's kind of where the Runeblade piece comes in. And because of the fatigue aspect that's been used to battle uh, Runeblade since Chain and even a little bit of Visarai, those uh, those end games in particular have been really important. But I can tell your your passion is true for the end game. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things in terms of like winning with Runeblade, um, you've got to like you've got to embrace the power and the aggressive nature of the split damage and the go against right. Like that is what Runeblade gives you. Um, I think that the, the OTK side is you know does that a little bit differently, but it still embraces the power of room chance of of uh, of arcane damage right, which is Something that outside of, you know, Wizard, uh, Runeblade's the only other class that can do that, right? So you, I think it's really, you, you don't want to fight against that, as whether that's deck building, whether that's your game plans that you play out, you want to make sure that you're embracing the split damage because the split damage is so difficult to deal with. Do you think about how annoying Rosetta Thorn is and how difficult that card is to deal with? It's, you know, it's one resource for two physical and two, two arcane. Really tough to stop um, for one resource or even, you know, even an attack uh, like a Vixie Malice, right? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, those are something that I think you need to consider as well. And then just another way to, I think if you want to get really efficient and make sure you're winning a lot with uh, with Runeblade classes or Runeblade class with heroes is to understand how tempo works. So how to get a hold of it, how to how to hold it um, and how to turn it around. And you know, Runeblade might be one of the, the most important for this because of the effects you have. So whether it be like the on-hit effects you have with um, your attacks, whether that be, you know, chain with your, you know, your banish cards, whether that be Briar with the embodiments or whether that be Viscerae with like Rune Chance and how you leverage and utilize those. I think Runeblade is one of the hardest ones to understand how to use and swing tempo um, because it often isn't just what your current hand is. It's uh, what your next hand could be if you think about the use of Rune Chance. It's what your end game will be. It's uh, all these different things. So yeah, the, the idea of tempo with Runeblade is, is kind of difficult to grasp and understand, I think, but really important too if you want to find a lot of success. Yeah, I think that in Runeblade, or particularly in like things like Briar, it's really important to play around those five card hands and play around those plunder runs. I think if you, you know, look at every kind of turn sequence as like I'm gonna jam as much damage as possible, you find it to be ultimately unsuccessful. Whereas like if you sort of chain plunder run into plunder run and like all this kind of stuff, um, you know, and obviously maximize your embodiment tokens every turn, value block your opponent. That is maintaining the tempo, right? As they would say. Yeah, I have a good example from the Calling the Lando. Actually, I played. I played four Briar Mirrors over the weekend, and one thing I noticed is that uh, my opponents were a lot of the time like playing their just playing their four or five cut hands, like playing their plunder runs from hand to try and like force the effect, and it gave me the opportunity to, you know, just defend like quite efficiently, and then set my own plunder up and into Arsenal, and then just come in with a, an attack action, for instance. And yet, the, the, if you looked at the turn in, in isolation, it looks really underwhelming. But in actual fact, like I got a massive tempo swing out of it the following turn because of you know i traded basically they traded me a plunder run out of their hand and i got to put a plunder run in my arsenal um so just like i think you start to identify these patterns uh, a lot of the time and and i had like an opponent in the last round who like i i think identified that halfway through the game and kind of changed the way they were playing the game uh, and it became a very close game in the end yeah definitely all right so let's talk about the strengths of Runeblade, and there are many as we know from the uh the meta dominance that it's had these past uh this past year we say so I think the flexibility is just super key, right? We see this in kind of even in the ways to build the deck, right? With Viscerai, you can take it in an OTK, an OTK route, or you can take it in a, a Tempo route. In Briar, you can be Earth Briar, you can be Lightning Briar. Both are kind of, I would say both are quite different. And with Chain, I guess it was just sort of one-dimensional, but there definitely were Chain decks that specialized in beating fatigue and ones that specialized in kind of 
um, having an edge in the mirror or aggro matchups. So the all the all the heroes are very flexible, and you can kind of suit the game plan that you want to play. I think especially with something like Briar, right? With Briars, there's so much more. To, there's so much to explore, right? You can be the zero cost before, never pitch for anything, or you can be almost the opposite and be on the earth side and be. You're playing these three cost channel mount heroics, blasting out these command and conquerors for nine, and just doing crazy stuff like that. Yep, yep. I want to rattle off some of the other ones as well, Brendan, as we move through. Um, hero text boxes, I mean, uh, we've talked about before chain, <laughs> very powerful hero text box for Sarai as well. Like the hero abilities themselves are, are what inherently, I think, um, make this class <laughs> very powerful. And I know that's been the source of some contention and, and design philosophy. But at the end of the day, if you just take a step back and say like what is the you know some of the key strengths of uh of this class it's the tech box it's the the hero ability sorry yeah definitely i mean chains chains text box i think is the probably the most interesting one that was like literally go again on demand um the idea was that you would get punished for having to build your deck but it turns out that that was also a positive which was funny yeah it was funny briars is uh Interesting in the sense that it, it also targets generics, right? So you don't have to be in the elements to get your embodiment of lightnings. You can play two generic non-attacks and you know your generic attack actions as well will trigger your embodiment of Earth. So I think that all of the all of the heroes have extremely all of the Runeblade heroes have extremely powerful text boxes for <laughs> what their heroes do. Yeah. Equipment, you have like a, a really wide variety of equipment to choose from. I mean, Brennan already talked about his little smeg fridge. He's got going on there, not so small actually. <laughs> a lot of defensive capability, but also uh, utility. So, uh, Blood Sheath, um, Skeleta, obviously very powerful card. Has you know a lot of things that you can do with that. Whether it be like the OTK strategy, whether it just be like efficiency to have like a really big turn off like three or four rune chance, um, and effectively save you you know two pitch cut two pitch worth of cards. Um, you have you know the, the Arc Knight, the uh, Grasp the Arc Knight. You know just a, a great sort of defensive item that also produces these rune chance. And then now you have the Spellbound Creepers. Um, which is just, I can't highlight how powerful I think this piece of equipment is and, and uh, how underexplored I think it is so far. We've seen it in Viscerai a little bit. We have not really seen it in Briar. Um, we've seen it maybe a little bit in Chain, but the, the card is just is very powerful and has a, a very strong effect. Again, we talk about go-agains, right? Um, and then, you know, we haven't even talked about cards like Even Fold uh, for Chain or... Uh, Aether Iron Wave. Aether, right? Yeah, exactly. Aether Iron Wave. Thank you. I forgot the name. Uh, these these cards are also very, very effective. So you have a lot of options when it comes to equipment. Spellbound Creeper is allowing Runeblade to play at instant speed. I saw multiple times um, the Viscerai list kill an opponent on their turn with mm -hmm. a Sonata Arcanics. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Concept. Yeah. Uh, as well as equipment, weapon choices, right? We already talked about this. No need to rehash it, but just the amount of weapons you have to choose from and the way that that can influence how you play the game and uh, how you build your decks there's just so many options you can even swap those in right you can play multiple weapons uh, maybe you're playing reaping blade in your otk deck to stop you know life gain and and then maybe your otk otk deck swaps into like more of a mid-range plan and you're playing rosetta thorn so the weapon choices are, are very strong as well um split damage we talked about this through the whole thing it's one of the most important things about what uh what rune blade as a class can do is that split damage it's hard to deal with and it's a very efficient way to to attack um you know to be proactive and then in-game possibilities. Renan, you you talked a lot about this with Chain. There's obviously I think every every Runeblade hero has like an end-game combo to kind of just like finish off their their opponent, right? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously Briar has the Sting thing, blah blah blah. Chain has. Uh, I mean, it would be beyond the scope of one sentence to <laughs> to describe that combo. But then also Viscera has you know stacking up enough room chance to where like your opponent literally with their four card hand cannot block it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Weaknesses. Sweet. 
Talk about weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, fatigue is, I guess, a perceived weakness of the Runeblade class, and it, it really depends and varies on the builds, uh, the game plans, and just you know the state of the, I guess, the current meta. If you think about chain post ban, yeah, a lot more susceptible to fatigue, right? But prior to the seeds ban, uh, it really depended on the builds and and the game plans that people had. But fatigue is not going to go anywhere in terms of you have a class that has uh, uses cards to not create physical damage and creates a way that can be defended without expending a card. And by that, I mean, you know, come with three rune chance, opponent pitches a blue uh, to prevent those, and you had to use a card to create those. So there's always going to be this aspect of fatigue as a possibility. Um, the split damage can sometimes be a liability. Sometimes, you know, it's going to take away from like breakpoints. Uh, your opponent, maybe you're playing as a guardian opponent who just loves mm-hmm. to, you know, use Start their response here. <laughs> exactly, use their resources efficiently, right? One resource to prevent yeah. a rune chant, then two to pay a staunch response is like super efficient. So sometimes that split damage can be a liability. Mm-hmm. And then next is obviously, we talked about it a little bit, but the balance of attack actions and attack actions. This is definitely a constriction that's been put on. Um, put on the Rune Bay class to kind of, I think, keep the power level in check. I mean, it's the, it's the trade-off, right? For having the attack actions and the non-attack actions at a close balance, you're able to play cards like Sonata Arcanics effectively, able to swing your blades effectively. Um, but ultimately, that probably does take away from the power a little bit, as if those cards were not conditional, right? But uh, that's probably a crazy world. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that some of those are. <laughs> uh I actually want to leave this one to you, Brendan, because I think this is something that you talk about a lot in terms of sequencing, and we've already spoken about it, but just kind of wrapping it up. Oh, so poor sequencing and pitching can just uh, can lose you a game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly important. I mean, we even look at like one of the most linear, proactive strategies um, in the game, which is Lightning Briar. But in order to win a game against fatigue, sometimes you have to play an extremely challenging endgame. And the only reason why it's so hard, I mean, it's not really hard to stack, you know, Arsenal is staying and the stack staying and triple ball, but it's hard to draw that exact hand, right? You're talking about drawing those four cards at the exact same time. That's pretty tough. Um, so it's it's interesting to play the Lightning Briar deck, but then have to, you know, you're playing a deck that doesn't want to pitch. Everything costs zero, and you have to like mindfully pitch away some of these power cards like Ball Lightnings to swing your blade when you don't want to or create a rune chant. Um, it's a funny little dance you have to do, but it's really, really important to actually winning the game. It's important to keep that in mind too. Is like, how am I going to win this game? And obviously in chain, it was incredibly important, right? Like you had to, you were pitching blues, um, for a while, like you would pitch blues so that you would, you would literally time the sequence perfectly so that when you did get to your final banish, that you would actually draw all four blues, the ones you had pitched. And then the cards you would banish would be blood debt, reds and yellows and things that would contribute to the combo actually going off. So Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it all really just comes back to knowing how you're going to win the game, having a game plan, but it's important to be very, you know, keep that mindful pitching, is like yeah. what we like to say. And sequencing, <laughs> sequencing is so key with Runeblade. Yeah. And I wanted to say, that because I, I think this is like, we've talked about this a lot, these in-game strategies, other heroes have in-game strategies and they have really, I guess, clear things you can do. I think some of them are really underexplored. Um, I want to use Guardian as an example. I think that is somewhat more explored because of someone like Cal McCreese, who's really vocal about that and has spoken about that and written about that and you know that, that kind of information is out there some of the other classes i think those in games uh, are less obvious less discussed uh, less known I, I look at a class like azalea for instance <laughs> i famously played that class for a month or three you know two and a bit months straight uh, and i had this really clear like in-game strategy that i was setting up against so many decks which involved like pitching take aims to the bottom and um uh setting up like a, an endless arrow rapid fire like to, to end the game 
and there's these sort of in-games that people can that you can come up with anyone can come up with um, but they are really important for almost every class it's just that i think with runeblade these are a bit more explored and um i think as well me and brendan like we've we've talked about them a bit more because they're some of the the heroes that we've played more recently i think yeah the the meta has forced us to develop them right because the meta has adapted to these classes by trying to fatigue them so that forces innovation on the runeblade side to deal with that like fatigue is i guess from like a theory and design standpoint like a decent strategy into runeblade yeah. so from there That's you have why. to kind of innovate yeah innovate on the end game to be able to beat that right because like the whole idea of a chain if we want to bring it back to that was that like he was making this blood debt and you know for having this power that you would trade off in the early and late game you could fatigue and you could run out of cards uh, that design maybe didn't get executed totally but you know it's the idea yeah yeah and it's just balancing the negatives with uh with the way you build yeah. so i think you hit the nail on the head let's uh move through into matchups and because we have three different heroes through constructed class constructed and blitz and we do always focus on class constructed with these matchups sort of run throughs we are going to keep this really high level we're going to talk about just the class as a, as a whole and maybe we might talk specifically about some of the heroes and some of these matchups and some of the the traditional aspects but because we want to make sure that uh, a lot of these one-on-ones that we do these deep dives are you know, they're readily available to listen in the future for someone coming in and, and wanting to learn more about, say, Runeblade uh, with maybe the fourth the fourth hero that gets released, Runeblade hero. Uh, we want to make these accessible. So let's just get the into it. The one that gets released in uh, Everfest? Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Runeblade every set. Let's talk about Brute to start with. Um, I think in, in general, Runeblade has uh, traditionally a, a reasonable time against Brutes just because of the split damage, especially into something like a, a Reiner, um, and because you can be really proactive, right? So traditionally, like being really proactive into, into a Brute is really good because they want to like kind of disrupt your hand and um, and do things like that. If you're playing a bit more of a Runeblade deck that's revolving around that kind of play pattern I spoke about earlier, of like defend with two cards, come in with a two to three card hand, then yeah, you're going to get punished. And that's more of like a Viscerai plan, I would say, um, traditionally. Then you can really get punished um, because of the way that Brute interacts with Intimidate. Uh, and then on the flip side of that with, of course, like Livia, uh, just, that's just pure damage, right, for a lot of the time. And um, that can also be a little bit, a little bit dicey. Yeah, I think it depends what kind of room blade you're on there. Um, there is, I know we're keeping this high level, but I'm going to break the rule real quick because cool. it's hot news. Um, so there is actually, so it, a lot of people thought that like Lightning Briar had a really good match into Reinar, which is true, but it depends if there's actually a strategy Reinar can employ that's very effective versus uh, um, Briar, Lightning Briar in specific. And so if they play club, what they do is they do like barraging beatdown and then they swing the club, requiring you to block with two cards. That, that deck hates playing two card hands, three card hands, blocking, you know, blocking mm -hmm. with two cards. Doesn't really matter the embodiment. It's just a great way to like tempo the opponent and kind of like, you know, keep applying pressure, keep requiring them to block or take a ton of damage, right? At like a way over rate amount of damage. And then, you know, using that life total that you're ahead, generate, you know, put the Blood Rush Bellow in Arsenal. And it doesn't matter how many embodiments of Earth they generate, is like you're going to set up a turn where you actually just. They have no cards in hand, so they can't even effectively use those embodiments. Earth. It's a really interesting strategy that I was surprised we didn't see more of um, at the calling. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's the, you know one of the decks that I was pretty high on for that reason. And a little bit of a plug, just quickly, is that uh, in the next once the drops, the next week or two, uh, we are going to have a, a deck tick on on Reiner, and I'm going to talk about that strategy in that deck tick. Oh, sweet! Mm, a little <laughs> bit of a plug there. All right, let's go to Warrior. I'll start it off. So Warriors, uh, Warriors, a bit a bit rough right just because a lot of our cards will often block for two which is not great um it's it's tough it's actually it's funny i think that warriors despite um you know 
like let's talk about lightning briar you really i feel like you want to go first in every single matchup warrior is the one where you don't right uh it's hard when you kind of get on the back foot against the warrior um no matter what rune blade you're playing i know chain had a chain was a different story because you had the the husk and the husk is effectively a time walk for a dorinthia player but i find that yeah dorinthia can sometimes be a pretty hard matchup for rune blade yeah yeah i think it's funny though on the flip side of that bolton uh, because of the amount of like non-attack actions and stuff you have Definitely and, counter bolton. yeah it's like you traditionally have a pretty reasonable matchup into bolton so uh, it can really depend um on on which warrior is, is facing you down but you know trying to i guess like race dorinthia is not really ever an option so of course with chain you'd husk like you said but maybe for uh like a, a briar or a viscerai like that can be a bit more difficult so ninja yeah what's about ninja, ninja it is <laughs> ninja is an interesting one because you know I mean, Ninja, you can't mention the, the Ninja class, like the marquee kind of banner on this class is on hit triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, does Runeblade effectively block on hit triggers when it needs to? I think the answer is actually kind of like, usually no. <laughs> it's pretty hard because a lot of your cards block for two. But if you're playing Briar and generating a ton of, like if it's Aggro Ninja, generating a ton of embodiments of Earth, sometimes that can just be, you know, the perfect recipe against uh, an Aggro Ninja player, right? Because you're non-attack to blocks for two now blocks for five or six against their whelming gust wave that's exactly where you want to be yeah i think it's uh you like to talk about like peak theory right and in theory katsu especially has this idea that so many on hit effects and can generate really aggressive turns that it should be really strong into rune blade because you know you've got so many cards to defend for two uh you've got hands where you really need to keep like three or four cards and and katsu can kind of tear that apart right and because you don't have on hit effects as many on hit effects coming back the other way it's it's you know the katsu kind of really enjoys that I think one of the issues right now with where Ninja is at is that Ninja actually, to me personally, and this could just be a design piece where we just people aren't finding the right decks, I'm not finding the right decks. Ninja feels a little bit underpowered and class constructed to me. Um, but in theory, the idea behind how Ninja works and the, some of the cards that are available to you should mean that I think traditionally you have a, a pretty good play into Runeblade. Uh, but we'll see how that evolves as we get like maybe the next Ninja hero, for instance. Mm-hmm. And on to my class, my favorite class in the class. It's going to get a ton of support. <laughs> Never fast, just become tier one wizard. So yeah, I think it's generally a race, depending on what um, what, what class you're on, right? So with chain, it was it was definitely a race. With briar, it's most certainly a race, um, and especially if you're on lightning briar. Viscerai, how does how does that go down, Aiden? Sorry, I just got confused because you said wizard. Don't you mean ranger? Oh, Ranger, yeah. I forgot. Um, I think when you, I think uh, if it's specify, right, you have to say Azalea because, like, the Ranger kids, like, they got the cool kids table, like, the, where they all sit around the Lexi table. Yeah. And they're yeah. still, like, you know, they're still the hippies around the Azalea just being like, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I joke. I joke. Uh, the, the matchup, Wizard, Kano, I guess at this point, but Wizard in general into uh, Viscerai, it's. It's an interesting matchup. I think it depends on like the Viscerai deck you're playing. OTK traditionally Kano just you know kind of uh, takes a little bit of a you know what's the word? Goes to the bathroom. Goes to the restroom on top of it. You know what I'm saying? Oh um, yeah, one of those. <laughs> but you know if you look at some some of the more aggressive Viscerai decks where you get to play these like two or three card hands that like tempo play, maybe keep up a blue to defend. Uh, you know, out a, a Voltic Bolt or a sonic boom whatever um those those games are a bit more interesting and fun to watch uh, i think but yeah it, it all comes down to the builds of uh of what's happening but i think wizard traditionally and, and probably going forward has a bit of an edge just better arcane damage doesn't really care about split damage that much to be honest mm, better arcane damage eh? so heading on to guardian we got two real options here fatigue versus aggro well it's interesting i feel like as a as a roommate player i i don't like to sit across from aggro but 
I feel like a lot of players don't like to, a lot of Roomba players don't like to sit across from fatigue. Um, fatigue being, in my opinion, extremely beatable as a rune blade, but aggro. I mean, these some of these guardian cards have been printing like Terra Sunder. It's just they're brutal. <laughs> they're brutal. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a um a theory piece as well, right? Where like if you have the experience playing into the fatigue matchups and you have these really clear game plans, I think one thing that you really like Brendan is that you have control of that match. It feels like you are the one playing that game. So the fatigue player just fatigues you right they're gonna play the defense reactions they're gonna block out some arcane they're gonna play some staunch responses it's on it's on you to like play that game right whereas on the flip side if they're playing and we call it aggro it's it's more of like a mid-range deck right that has this really aggressive output with on hit effects with like pummels and terra sunders and crush effects with spinal crush and um crippling crush etc those that's when i guess the flip side of that is like the guardian player really has play with that right they get to interact in the game they get to decide how they're going to play it uh, some of their draws can be really strong and they get like you know the, the pummel on the right turn or they get the terrace under just as you're trying to pivot or whatever it might be or they have the zealous belting into the uh into the command and conquer things like that so um i think that's kind of the differentiation between the between the, the play styles of guardian there and i agree with you and personally i'd rather play into the fatigue because i think you can come up with a game plan and it, it plays out basically the same every single time uh whereas you get a bit of a wild card when you've got uh, that other strategy coming in <laughs> yeah a bit of a wild card indeed like awakening and then free spinal crush like oh wow nice <laughs> yeah but <if> <laughs> some of these kind of, it's crazy yeah um what was that i think if you talk about playing the matchup though if you're talking about the fatigue side you have to have a game plan as, as runeblade you always have to have a game plan of fatigue and if it's the other side you have to have a game plan around how you're going to defend really efficiently so if we take Briar, for example, you've got to really uh, understand like when you need to push embodiments, when is the correct decision to like attack with an attack action versus attacking with the, the weapon because your opponent's setting up a pivot turn. Um, when it's you know correct to just like slap your five card hand down and not worry about having an arsenal because you really need the embodiments for next turn, things like that. So that's kind of the play when it comes to, uh, to playing against Guardian, I think. For sure. Let's head into the mirrors, the old rune blade mirror. So um, I think historically miserable <laughs> in the chain days, but you know, now since those have faded a bit, I mean, chain mirrors are probably still not fun. Uh, I think that, you know, Briar, I, I mean, I'll speak to Briar because I haven't played as much as Viscera as you, mm -hmm. but Briar mirrors tend to be pretty technical. Um, they're quite fun because it's just, it's all about tempo and stacking up the embodiments, add value your opponent on the blocks, and um, it ends up being, I think, a skill-based matchup. I, I love the Briar Mirror. It's one of my favorite matchups probably in recent. So traditionally my favorite game to play is Reinar into, into Bravo. That's been my favorite matchup to play through all of Flesh and Blood, I think. It just is really interesting. But Briar v Briar is probably pretty up there for me now. Um, I really enjoy that matchup and, and it is, like you say, very skill-based, I think, which is really cool. There's a lot of micro decisions and um, macro decisions to be made during that game. In terms of like Viserai, uh, Viserai mirrors traditionally were like, they're okay. Uh, it often came down to like some of the, who had like the better five card hands earlier and who could like sort of ride the tempo. But there was some really cool stuff with um, like how people use their equipment. And then you had like uh, um, Arknight Ascendancy, cards like that. So yeah, and then how that these kind of interact with each other. I think Chain traditionally has like a, a good matchup of the Rune Blades just because of, of like Husk and because like fatiguing with Runeblade is like really difficult to do um, and Chain just has like that really strong mid-game output which is where all the kind of Runeblades want to play um, I would I would say and then like uh, you know Viserai as we've talked about pretty pretty reasonable matchup into to Briar yeah for sure all right head down to Mechanologist I think that Runeblade uh, I guess uh, say historically and traditionally seems to be a bit of a tall order for Mechanologist Seems quite good. Yeah, definitely dethrone dash, right? So Chain was kind of the hero to dethrone dash from the Crucible into the Monarch meta. 
and take up that mantle of like best deck in the format kind of thing where dash had just been so dominant through arcane rising and crucible albeit you know with like a really smaller like a much smaller player base and smaller card pool um and then briar just i mean i don't know how many times we ran different iterations of mech into to briar but it just never felt good never felt like you could find a, a good strategy um there's two kind of key ways that mechanologist plays i think into to runeblade in order to depend on what runeblade they're playing against they can go like you know more of a controlling sort of set up your items uh, maybe even like semi-fatigue route which they might do against something like a, a chain or a viscerai uh, just because of the rune chance Whereas on the flip side, you know, they might play super aggressive, right? Which is like the full boost version, get your high octanes, get your tomes, um, get your really aggressive turns out. And they're going to play that, you know, I would say now more so, uh, that's probably the preferred way to play against uh, something like Chain. And definitely the way that they need to play against, uh, I think, these Lightning Briar decks. So there's two different ways to to um, for Mechanologists to approach the Runeblade matchups. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's interesting how it, <laughs> how you say a de- Chain dethroned Mech because Mech definitely made a resurgence after a certain Matt Rogers won with it at one of those roads to nationals. And we saw a bunch of Mech come back into the format. Mech was doing well in the format. Well-ish, right? Yeah, okay, it, was finding, yeah. it was finding success fatiguing chains who weren't prepared for that kind of match. But then I, you know, I think it's kind of sort of faded out a little bit as we saw with the results of the calling Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead into my favorite class, my favorite class in the game. I can't believe I said it was wizard because obviously it's illusionist. Yeah, I mean, we talk about illusions right now. It's it's viscerite. Oh, sorry, viscerite. It's prism viscerite. right now. Uh, and if we talk about how prism plays into uh, the runeblade classes, so you've got the two two versions of illusionists as we speak right now. You've got these more uh, aura based sort of controly decks, and you've got these like herald like you know damage decks. And if you talk about okay, so we talk about the the aura decks. Uh, traditionally, that was you know what Tyler Horsepool won the calling with, and into certain chain uh, strategies like it was really effective, right? It could fatigue them. Uh, Briar runs over both of these, uh, especially the the uh, aura version because you just have these you know you just play five cards every turn. They just you you can't deal with it as the the prism just because of the efficiency swing of cards, your right? blade uh, yeah. break the the spectra. Like I mean. It's just, it's for the reasons that Agrokatsu was good into Aura Prism, Briar is that good plus better, in my opinion. Yep, exactly. And then with the Herald piece, uh, you get a bit of a, uh, you know, traditionally like Katsu, that was really tough because your on-hit effects were like your only relevant piece, whereas Briar just has like the on-hit effects plus more damage. Uh, plus the embodiments can actually be really key plus on certain turns as well. Yeah, yeah. Like you block yeah. out the erudition. Herald because- Judgment. Yeah, addition. Yeah. Sorry, it's not so scary anymore when for five and you just block with a single non-attack action. Exactly, and because they need to set up a pivot turn to play something like a Tome of Divinity or whatever, and they need like their five cut hand to have these massive swing turns. You know, you can recognize that and come uh, prepared with your embodiments of Earth. So traditionally, that's how that plays. Uh, Viscerai, you know, can be pretty reasonable, I think, into the uh, the Herald versions. Your split damage is really annoying for them. The auras can be a bit tougher. They can really control that matchup, stop your rune chance, um, and uh, you know get get ahead of you on like auras on the board, which can be really difficult for you to deal with. Yep. We did skip one, awesome. Brennan. We just got to quickly quickly go back to Ranger. Yeah, I, you just, I know you purposely oh, skipped Ranger. Ranger. <laughs> I didn't purposely skip Ranger. You left it out of the document because you told me that that class basically doesn't exist. So everybody right who now. loves Ranger, let's pick up our pitchforks and let's go out to hate it. Uh, let's talk about it, though. So Ice Lexi, obviously a big uh, a big bummer for, for, for Lightning Lexi, or for, sorry, for Lightning Briar for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lightning Lexi list is quite good as well. Um, you can have enough embodiments to kind of effectively block them out, but usually they're putting so many things on the chain and they'll have like an electrify that's you know, threatening an on hit there it's it's generally a harder match in my opinion um we talk about some of the other room blades 
I can only chain speak as to, well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I can only really speak to chain into, from my own personal experience, into Azalea. And that was, Azalea was actually looked at for a while. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Everybody, anybody who wasn't there is going to go, <laughs> yeah, he's lying. No, it's for real. That, Azalea was like the peak counter to chain. It was like all theory, right? It's like, how does chain do his thing if you sleep dart him five times in a row? It's like, well, yeah, he doesn't, but you have to have freaking sleep dart five times in a row. What do you mean? <laughs> It's like one of my favorite, um, my favorite sort of things the meta has gone through was this uh, Azalea to counter chain in the early days. Yeah, because Azalea was just sort of peak theory. Like a lot of Azalea's cards are really bad for chain. Like Red and the Ledger is yep. really bad. Sleep Dart's not great. Um, but you know, you only have three Red and the Ledgers in your deck, and then chain is just freaking necroing every turn. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely was on board the series as well. The problem is like the the hero ability just wasn't the right thing for what you needed out of your cards so yeah that's uh that's ranger i think um against chain can really struggle into the the ice decks as well i think one of the most important uh, lightning as well like just the on hit effects the go wide and the um the ability to hit these on hit effects plus play something like a blizzard out of your sideboard or um you know still like maybe you play weave ice and you just give them one frostbite like really good against lightning briar but also against chain can be very difficult as well so um yeah that's kind of the matchups for Runeblade. Well, now we get to talk about how to beat it, Hayden. Yeah, we're just going to rattle through because a lot of these really are tying up these core concepts yeah. of what we've talked about and basically flipping them and saying, like, this is the, the you know, the, the ex- exploitation point to beat Runeblade. So uh, we talk about split damage is efficient. So uh, you have to be proactive to a degree to understand, like, what's the effective way to stop it. So sometimes it's going to be the physical damage is going to be the most important thing for a given deck. Briar, for example, uh, you really don't care about their... Uh, you know their rune charm or their uh, arcane damage because what you really care about when you're playing against lightning briar is those on hit effects it's the plunder runs it's the snatches it's the creating embodiments um those are the ones that are going to really sort of hurt you so you know and this around the flip side well actually it could be the arcane damage the arcane damage is what's going to like they're going to generate with their cards they're going to come with these rune chants so really understanding the split damage and how it's efficient and how you can actually counter that is is one of the most important ways to beat rune blade yeah definitely uh, blocking out the on-hit effects, um, we talked about hit them with your on-hit effects. Like that's that's really important, right? So all of these Runeblade decks, uh, they play you know two defense cards. These non-attack actions that defend for two, whether that's you know in Briar, which has you know a, a metric ton of them, right? With both attack actions and non-attack actions. If they have no embodiments, their hand is really bad for defending with. But also Viscerite has these with Morvern Skies and you know like whatever other cards they're gonna play. Chain has them as well. Chain like so it's just some, sometimes Briar just has the non-tech actions that block for eight, you know. So that that happens, which obviously changes that formula a bit. But yeah, on hit on hit triggers in general against Runeblader, not very good. There's a lot of two blocks in the Runeblade class. Yeah, that's why I talk about a, a deck like Guardian, like these proactive Guardian lists that play Pummels, they play Zell's Beltings, they play Command Conquers, they play Terra Sunders, like that's really difficult for these rune blades to deal with because you know like yeah you know, some of them might play some defense reactions like a viscerai but in general these turns coming over you know they're pushing three four five damage and they're taking a card from your hand or they're you know preventing you from having go again next turn or whatever and they're throwing your they're taking the tempo from you basically if you took take a deck like briar uh, briar wants to continually just play these five card hands maybe every now and again it's okay to play a three card hand and use two cards to defend but if they lose go again well that's like devastating if they lose two cards from hand that's devastating you know like the more you disrupt what these rune blades are trying to do with their five cut hands, the more uh, you know, the more efficient and the more effective you're going to be against them. 
Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir, right? <laughs> like, I, I mean, they can't block out. They can't block out my dominated Red in the Ledger and dominated Sleep Dart every time, right? They just can't do it. So I'm just gonna no. Obviously, all jokes here. Uh, it's a legit strategy, but we'll see. Right? That's just the <laughs> power level's not as high as, as something yeah. like a Guardian or something like an Ice Elixir. That's all. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I just gotta throw in my little jabs, you know. Of course you do. Uh, we'll get <laughs> we'll get the pitchforks ready for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. Trust me. When I go to locals, there's a lot of Azalea players that are like, oh, "What are you doing around these parts?" I'm like, "Oh, geez." Yeah, they get their, they get their hunting bow and arrow out. I I played I played uh, Azalea for two months straight. So you know, I've got my I've got my social credit with the uh, with the you know the ranger crowd. At least I hope so. Anyway. I, I've just I've just kept it a secret that I like. The only deck I actually play in testing and like for fun is Azalea. But I try to like look cool in front of my friends and say I don't play. You know, <laughs> Sasha Markovic. Um, <laughs> in Blitz, let's talk about how to beat Runeblade and Blitz. Uh, you have to, I think, to be honest. So the life total, you have obviously you have half the life total. Uh, it's really important because a deck like Chain, for instance, needs those first few two turns to like get going. And yeah, they have Husk, and that's like a bigger percentage of the, like the life totals, but. You know, those first two turns are really important. And in and, and Blitz, I think you can have decks that just deal more damage. You have Kano, it can just deal more damage, right? Like, um, Reinar, when it intimidates your whole hand and comes in for 20, is way more effective in Blitz, for instance, for a, a one-turn kill sort of thing than it is in, you know, uh, Classic Instructed for that kind of effect. So uh, often, I think, in Blitz, like, output of damage and um, making their, I guess, their game plans inefficient, so making embodiments inefficient because you just don't care about them, or uh, making their split damage inefficient because you just don't care about it is the way to beat uh, beat these heroes in Blitz. Yep, and I do want to make a, because <laughs> it's always on the sheet, but uh, Chain into Kano and Blitz is Kano's <sighs> biggest nightmare. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. It's so rough. Yeah, so Spellvoid 2 is just fantastic. So I'm just saying this in case you're getting beat up by Kanos at your local skirmishes, just leave off that chain because oh, that's a bad one. Yeah, I can bury a 3 just, plus the Ebonfold. Yeah, I mean, plus you got Spellvoid, and then it's just so fast. Like, Kano just doesn't do well into decks that will just kind of, um, you know, like full face with, like, tons of damage. It's, it's interesting. Really. I think, like, Kano, so I do... I don't like playing into that matchup. I think it's one of the matchups I, as a Kano player, I don't really want to play against, but I don't really think it's actually like, it's not horrendous, uh, to be honest. It's just that like, it's, you have to play in a different way because of the spell void and the arcane barrier three and it's frustrating. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with you on that, but then I'd also board on and say it's like, it, it gets close to horrendous. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but I did play Dan McKay in a skirmish and he was on chain. I was on Kano and I slapped him on stream. Exactly. There you go. That's the way you can do it. All right. Awesome. Yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and close it out. Do you want to just shout out the Arsenal Pass YouTube page? Like I said, we got a bunch of more content coming up there in the future, as well as this Lightning Briar deck. This deck we've talked about a ton on this podcast. We've got the deck deck going up, and then obviously all the extra content for that on Patreon as well, as well as like some gameplay and just tons of fun stuff. We're also experimenting with a lot of stuff on YouTube. Maybe you know we're staying with our um sort of our weekly content right like we got our gameplay we got a pod we got our time in the round but then we're maybe adding and sprinkling in a little bit of solo content as well to try to keep up with some you know very interesting or like hot topics when they arise like this crazy hybrid <laughs> briar deck that's super exciting um so check us out arsenal pass youtube uh and then hayden and i are both on twitter i'm located at brendan apg hayden is located at fiendel f-y-e-n underscore dale um, just hit us up on there we love engaging with everybody on twitter um, it's just a great time. And finally, shout out to the Patreon. Thank you all so much for supporting. Again, we do have a bunch of extra content there, including extra podcasts, live sessions, and all kinds of deck deep dives, sideboard guides, all you need to pick up the deck and start being competitive. But until next time, 
Hayden, what's the rest of the line? You said this is my Brendanism. Until next time, we'll see you in the next video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see you guys.